I'm Rachel, and I'm going to be reading the Bible. So it's John chapter 10, verses 22 to 42. Okay. So it's Psalm 82. Sorry. God presides in the great assembly. He renders judgment among the gods. How long will you defend the unjust and show partiality to the wicked? Defend the weak and the fatherless. Uphold the cause of the poor and the oppressed. Rescue the weak and needy. Deliver them from the hand of the wicked. The gods know nothing. They understand nothing. They walk about in darkness. All the foundations of the earth are shaken. I said, you are gods. You are all sons of the Most High. But you will die like mere mortals. You will fall like every other ruler. Rise up, O God, judge the earth, for all the nations are your inheritance. Now we'll be reading from John chapter 10, verses 29 to 39. My father, who has given them to me? My father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my father's hand. I and the father are one. Again his Jewish opponents picked up stones to stone him. But Jesus said to them, I have shown you many good works from the father. For which of these do you stone me? We are not stoning you for any good work, they replied but for blasphemy, because you, a mere, a mere man, claim to be God. Jesus answered them, Is it not written in your law, I have said you are gods? If you called them gods, to whom the word of God came, and scripture cannot be set aside, what about the one whom the Father set apart as his very own and sent into the world? Why then do you accuse me of blasphemy because I said I am God's son? Do not believe do not believe me unless I do the works of my father. But if I do them, even though you do not believe me, believe the works that you may know and understand that the father is in me and I in the father. Again they tried to seize him, but he escaped their grasp. Jesus is famous for many things. Jesus is famous for many things. He's famous for his extraordinary life. And if you haven't read a gospel yourself, if you haven't read one of the accounts of Jesus' life, I really want to encourage you to do that. That was the way I was introduced to Jesus, by reading the gospel uh, according to Matthew. And I'd want to encourage you to read one of his uh, life accounts yourself. But he's famous for many things. He's famous for his miracles and his powers that we looked at in the last talk. Of course, he's also famous for his compassion and mercy to people, people who are often outcast. Jesus would show mercy and compassion to them and show ways in which they could be included. He was also famous for his wisdom when he was in the temple. People would question him and try to trap him in his words. And if you've read Jesus' responses, you'll see that he gives a very deep, profound, wise answer to these different questions. 
He shows great power in that he can control storms and evil in this world. And he also has a, a, he's famous for his parables. Uh, a significant amount of the gospel accounts are made up of the parables of Jesus. There's the parable of the Good Samaritan, the parable of the sower. Um, there are many parables. They make up a lot. And he's famous for them. But, but not all of what Jesus says is easy to understand. His parables, you know, we often speak of them as if he told these stories to make things simple for people. But very often what Jesus does is difficult to understand. And I think he's also famous for these difficult things. Some things are clear and parables to, to uh, explain. He's got these miracles, this compassion, this wisdom, this power. But I think sometimes he's also famous for difficult things. Have a look with me at John chapter 10. And we'll go from verse 33. Now Jesus has... Uh, no, we'll just read from verse 33. The Jews answered him... Uh, it is not for a good work that we are going to stone you, but for blasphemy, because you, being a man, make yourself God. Okay, so you understand the charge? Jesus, you're making yourself God in what you're saying. Now, what's Jesus' answer? Jesus answered them, Is it not written in your law, I said you are God's? If he called them gods to whom the word of God came and the scripture cannot be broken, why do you say of him who the father consecrated and sent into the world, you are blaspheming because I am the son of God. So they say to Jesus, you're blaspheming, you make yourself God. Jesus says, hang on, let me respond. The scripture says, what does it say? He called them gods to whom the word of God came. What does Jesus mean? Sometimes he is simple in what he says. Other times I want to say that Jesus is profound and deeply theological. And he's famous for those sayings as well. The answer that he gives here, saying, I said you are gods, comes from Psalm 82, which we had read earlier. Now, the Psalms, I hope that you're familiar with the Psalms. The Psalms are a book of devotion. And maybe you have used some of the, the prayers that are in the Psalms as your own prayers for your own devotion to God. The Psalms also are a place of comfort, aren't they? When we find ourselves in a difficult place in life, we can turn to the Psalms and find comfort along with the Psalmist as they... Uh, turn to God and seek God's peace. The Psalms, of course, are also about praise. In the Psalms, we have great praise to God, proclaiming the things that God has done. But the Psalms also contain some of the deepest theology in the Bible. In the Gospels, when Jesus wants to explain his divinity, he turns to the Psalms. That's where he turns. He turns to Psalm 82, as we've just read in John's Gospel. 
But in Matthew, Mark and Luke, he turns to Psalm 110. You see, the Psalms are not just for devotion, for comfort, for praise, but also for our deep, deep understanding about Jesus. Now, sometimes with the Bible, it's easy work. Sometimes, though, with the Bible, it's hard work. And tonight, we're going to be wrestling with some uh, down the harder end of the spectrum. And we're going to be looking at some doctrine on our what's called Christology. That is our understanding of Jesus. And as we're going to look at this psalm in particular and see why Jesus refers to it when he wants to explain his own divinity. So come with me back to Psalm 82. And we're going to read this psalm together and then go to, psalm, and then go to John 10. Psalm 82. Verse 1, a psalm of Asaph. God has taken his place in the divine council. In the midst of the gods, he holds judgment. So here's the first verse. God has taken place, uh, his place in the divine council. In the midst of the gods, he holds judgment. So here we have a picture of God among the gods. That's an interesting use of the word God, isn't it? Look at verse 6. I said, you are gods, sons of the Most High, all of you. You see, the Bible uses the word God in different ways. The most common way that we're familiar with is when it speaks about the only creator. God, the only creator, the only sovereign Lord. And in that sense, there are no other gods but him. But sometimes, just sometimes, it's used more broadly. And Psalm 82 is one of these times. So who are these other gods? Who is God sitting amongst? Who are these other gods that God says, you are gods? Well, let's look at verses 2 to 4. Speaking to these other gods, God on his throne says, How long will you judge unjustly and show partiality to the wicked? Give justice to the weak and the fatherless. Maintain the right of the afflicted and the destitute. Rescue the weak and the needy. Deliver them from the hand of the wicked. So who are these other gods? Well, these other gods have got to do with showing partiality they don't defend the rights of people they shouldn't uh, they, they, they've got a corruption about them they're not rescuing people who need rescuing these are judges it's talking about human judges and it's saying that God sits amongst the judges of the world and has a word against them now, why call human judges gods? Why call human judges gods? Well, it has to do with Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, where we read, I may as well go back there, it's the first book in the Bible. Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. 
Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock on the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God made man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them. You see, humanity has been made in the image of God. You have been made in the image of God. Humanity is God's representative and agent in this world. Humanity is meant to represent God's rule. You'll notice in Genesis 1.26, God makes them in his image so that they may rule in the world. So we are God's representatives who are to display his character, who are to bring his rule, who are to be his agent into this world. Now we all do this in different ways. Humanity displays God's character and glory and represents his rule in different ways. As a whole humanity, we represent God's rule. As a whole humanity, we represent God's rule. The nation of Israel was told to be holy because I am holy. God said to the nation of Israel, be holy because I am holy. Israel had that special relationship with God. And they, out of all the nations of the world, were to represent God in this world. They were to display his character, show his rule, display his glory to this world. And of course, for us as individual Christians, we're in the image of God and we live that out in what's called our own godliness. Have you ever wondered why we call it godliness? It's because when we live the holy life, we're living like God. We too are to be holy as God is holy. Now, please don't assume that what I've just said is common to all religions. In Islam, you are not made in the image of God. There is nothing like Allah and the Quran never says, be holy as Allah is holy. What Allah does is what Allah does and really it's got nothing to do with you. The decisions he makes and his character in one sense don't reflect what you should be doing. But that's not the case for the prophets of God. Throughout all the prophets, from Moses through to Jesus, they speak of us made in the image of God and that we're to be like God. We're to display God's character. Now, of course, when we sin, when we sin, we, we don't display God's character to this world, do we? We're not living the godly life. We're not living as the image of God as we should. And so we don't display God's character. And sin has marred all of humanity. So that humanity, while still made in the image of God, we don't display the image of God. We don't display and represent God's rule the way we should. We're beastly in the way we rule. And we certainly don't display God's glory. Now, judges, in particular, display God's image in a particular way because human judges are meant to be representatives of God the judge okay 
Now, I guess that for most of us here, we don't sit as a judge in, in the government of the land. But if you did, then you would represent God in a different way to other people because you would be a judge who can bring justice. You see, God is our judge. He's our creator. And it's for this reason that human judges who share in the, that judging role of God here on earth are called gods because they have a particular godlike role in bringing judgment. And God, who is the judge, the one who will hold all people to account, has appointed judges on earth to bring his judge judgment. And the judges in our land, their particular aspect of godliness is to be a just judge, to, be, to image God in that particular way. And so the idea of justice is this big idea in the Bible, that judges are to be just. Look at verse 2 again. And this is God speaking to the judges of this world. How long will you judge unjustly and show partiality to the wicked? Or verse 3. Give justice to the weak and the fatherless. Maintain the right of the afflicted and the destitute. And verse 4, rescue the weak and the needy, deliver them from the hand of the wicked. They have neither knowledge nor understanding. They walk about in darkness. All the foundations of the earth are shaken. You see, when human judges are corrupt, then they're not displaying God's character and justice into this world. And this is what this psalm is uh, is highlighting and lamenting in many ways. Now, it's not easy for judges to be, to be just. They have their own corruption through their own sinful nature and uh, the power they have can corrupt them in various ways and if they're not listening to God's ways, they follow other ways. But we actually need to pray for the judges in our land. We need to pray for the judges in our land who very often define what certain things will be, who, who define what the laws will be, which affect and educate everybody. Laws when it comes to understanding the family, when it comes to marriage, there's all these different issues that are out there that judges are absolutely integral to. And the laws they make educate the whole community. We need to be praying for our judges. We need to at least know who they are and to be praying for them. Certainly, we need to be encouraging them not to make laws against God. I just want us to briefly look at our own just life as Christians. If you come back with me to Psalm 15. We don't have much time to go through all of these. But I just want you to get a feel for justice in your own life because Psalm 15 talks about justice and you. And I'm just going to read this out and, and let it sink into you. 
Psalm 15, a psalm of David. O Lord, who shall sojourn in your tent? Who shall dwell on your holy hill? He who whose walk he whose walks he who walks blamelessly and does what is right and speaks truth in his heart. Who does not slander with his tongue and does no evil to his neighbour, nor does he reproach against his friend, in whose eyes a vile person is despised, but who honours those who fear the Lord, who swears to his own hurt, he keeps his own word to his own hurt, and does not change who does not put out his money at interest and does not take a bribe against the innocent he who does these things shall never be moved now you see that there's a great description of the just life for the christian Again, it's, worthy, it's worthwhile spending more time on that by yourself and letting those ideas ponder into you. But you see, we need to be living just lives and to be seeking justice in this world. Come back to Psalm 82. And you'll see how the psalmist's lament is that this is not the case. You see in verse 6, I said, you are gods, sons of the Most High, all of you. Nevertheless, like men, you shall die and fall like any prince. You see, these judges in humanity have failed and death will be their end. And then it ends with, um, with, God, with a call for God to come and bring true justice. Arise, O God, judge the earth, for you shall inherit all the nations. Okay, now what I've tried to do there is just to, to take you through Psalm 82 so you can understand how the words are getting used. And what I want us to do now is to come back to, Psalm, to John 10 and have a look at what Jesus is saying. So let's come back to John 10. John chapter 10. Okay, verse 29. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and the Father are one. The Jews picked up stones again to stone him. Jesus answered them, I have shown you many good works from the Father, for which of them... Are you going to stone me? The Jews answered him, It is not for a good work that we are going to stone you, but for blasphemy, because you, being a man, make yourself God. Okay, so I hope we can understand the situation here. Jesus is making claims of his oneness to God in such a way that people are saying, You're saying you are God. Right? 
Now, how does Jesus answer that? Look at verses 34. Jesus answered them, Is it not written in your law, I said you are gods? If he calls them gods to whom the word of God came, and scripture cannot be broken, why do you say of him whom the Father consecrated and sent into the world, you are blaspheming because I said I am the Son of God? That's Jesus' answer. Now, I want to say that that's not the answer I was expecting. So when I was your age and I was reading this, I would read it and go, what is Jesus talking about? I'm expecting him to say something like, they say to him, you're claiming to be God. And he would say something like, yes, look at what I'm doing. That's sort of what I was expecting him to say. I was expecting Jesus to lift himself up. But what does he do? He doesn't lift himself up. Look at who he lifts up. I said, you are gods. He lifts humanity up. Again, that's not the answer I was expecting. They say to him, you're claiming to be God. His answer is, I'll lift humanity up. I said, you are gods. What's he doing there? How does that answer their questions to say, you're gods? Well, it's because these Jews that he's speaking to underestimate how much humanity can represent God. They're, under, they're underestimating how much humanity can represent God. They're underestimating how much a, a humanity can display the glory of God. I just want you to imagine for a moment if there was a man, if there was a man who never sinned. Imagine if there was a man who never sinned. This man is made in the image of God and he never sins. He'd represent God, wouldn't he? He would represent God in a way that, well, far beyond anyone else. He would represent God better than anyone. You see, sin is not human. Sin is not human. We tend to think everybody sins. Sin is just what people do. Therefore, it's what it means to be human. Sinning is what it means to be human. No, the Bible never gives you that answer. The Bible says sin is what you do when you're not acting like a human. Sin is what you do when you're not acting like the image of God. Right? You get that switch there? Sin is not what you do because you're human. Sin is what you do because you're not being a proper human. Because a proper human can represent God's rule. A proper sinless human can display God's character in this world. A proper human will share in the glory of God. You see, Jesus lifts up humanity. He lifts it up and he goes, you're troubling. Like You're saying... You know, you're blaspheming. You're saying that I'm blaspheming, but I'm the image of God. 
I'm the one who represents God. I'm, I am the true image of God. See, as the image of God, we all represent God to some degree. But Jesus, as the true image of God, represents God fully. He is God's true representative. And when God adds to himself a human nature in what we call the incarnation, when God comes to us as a man and he adds to himself a human nature and, in, and the person of the divine son takes on this human nature, we have the true image of God displaying himself to us in the image of God. Because God made humanity to display his character. He made humanity. You know, see, this is when God becomes a man, he didn't choose some random thing to come into our world in. Right? It's not that God said, I'm just going to, you know, I, I, I want to come down amongst them. I will just choose some, you know, I'll, I'll choose a, a tree or something else. He chose a human and he made humanity with that express purpose of representing him, displaying his character and sharing in his glory. So when God comes to us, he uses the vehicle. He uses the vehicle that he himself made for this exact purpose. You see how important the doctrine of the image of God is. And this is who Jesus is. Jesus is God bringing our humanity to its fulfilment. Jesus is God showing us what a true human is, as this true human represents God and displays God's character in all of its glory. Let's just have a look at how Jesus is this representative from a few verses. John chapter 1, verse 1. Go back to the beginning. John chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him not anything was made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness. And the darkness has not overcome it. Come down to verse 14. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son from the father, full of grace and truth. So there we see Jesus, who is the, the word of God, the one who is the who is God coming down now, taking on flesh and people seeing his glory, representing God in this world. Jesus is God come amongst us, displaying himself to us as a man. Come to Hebrews chapter 1.
Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. So again, here is the one who is, the, uh, who is with God, the very radiance of God's glory, who comes amongst us and displays God truly to us. The last one we'll look at is Colossians. And if you've been to NTE, you would have looked at this at NTE. Colossians chapter 1. Verse 15. And I'll just read the first half of verse 15. Speaking of Jesus, it says, He is the image of the invisible God. You see, God is transcendent and outside of creation. Yet he has this image, this, this true son who is his exact representation, the one who is, is God himself. And it is this son who takes to himself a human body, a human body made to be the image of God and brings it to its fulfillment. And this is what we have in Jesus. This is what we call the incarnation. The incarnation where God comes to us as a man. Now, our first application from this, tonight we've been looking at some big ideas, but our first application for this is praise God. Praise God that our God is not some remote God, but our God is a God who has come down to us. Our God is a God who has come down to lift us up, to fulfill our humanity, to take us to where we need to be. Our God is a God who has come and shared in, in the pain of this world, uh, shared and suffered from the sin of this world, but yet lived that sinless life, showed what humanity can be like. It is our God who has saved us. It's our God who has saved us. There is nothing in us that can save us. When we try to keep God's laws, we fail. And the Old Testament is, is a record of the nation of Israel with the option of keeping God's laws and they just don't. Whether they have judges or kings or they're in exile, they don't keep God's laws. But God promised that he would come and save us. And this is how God saves us. This is how God saves us. He comes and does what we can't do. He comes as a man to us, lives that holy, sinless life, offers himself up on the cross to pay for our sins, 
And because he is sinless, he can bear our sins. It's not just any old man on the cross. This is our God on the cross. It's not just some random being punished for you. This is God himself taking upon himself the consequences for your sin. This sinless man bearing your sins. This holy God taking upon himself your sins. This is how God saves us. And because of this, it's guaranteed. Because this is God saving us, there is no doubt that it has worked. If your salvation relied upon me doing something for you, it wouldn't be such a firm foundation. But our, the foundation of our salvation is the act of God himself. That our God has come down amongst us. That our God has saved us. And so again, that's the praise that we're to have. That's the main application from tonight. To stand in awe that our creator God, that our judge, loves us so much that he came down to save us. We're going to say one of the creeds now. Hopefully that will appear for us. Oh, it's in the book? Excellent. Let me... Um, Tim, can you look on So we're going to say one of the creeds together. In a moment, I'll get us to, to stand and we'll say this. This is an ancient creed. And what we've done tonight is, is tried to understand the person of Jesus better, more deeply, who this man is, how, how, he, how he is, what it means to call him God, to understand some of the background behind that. And... Our forebears in the first centuries of Christianity worked very hard at this. And they made this statement about Jesus. And I thought it would be a great way for us to finish up tonight. So please stand. And we're going to say the Nicaea Creed. Okay. We believe in one God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all things visible and invisible, and in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, begotten from the Father before all ages, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten not made, of the same essence as the Father. Through him all things were made, for us and for our salvation, he came down from heaven. He became incarnate by the Holy Spirit and the Virgin Mary and was made human. He was crucified for us under Pontius Pilate. He suffered and was buried. On the third day, he rose again according to the scriptures. He ascended to heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again with glory 
to judge the living and the dead. His kingdom will never end. And we believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, and with the Father and the Son is worshipped and glorified, who spoke through the prophets. We believe in one holy Catholic and apostolic church. We affirm one baptism for the forgiveness of sins. We look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. Hey guys, I'm Lachlan. I'm a second year student in the stealth faculty and I'd love it if you could join me for prayer now. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you that we can come here today to be able to unite around your word and just grow in fellowship about you. Uh, thank you for Sam for bringing your message. Thank you for the passion he has to train and equip us to know you more and to understand our Father. Uh, Lord, praise, praise you. Thank you for sending your true representative for us, for sending Jesus, God incarnate, to come to the cross to defeat the enemy, Lord and free us from the sting of death. And I pray that you would raise us to our calling, that we may represent you more and more daily. Lord, I pray for our one-to-ones. Thank you for the people that we could meet with today, who we were able to build relationships with, maybe for the first time, or to continue building ones that we already had. I pray that over the year we could continue to meet up with these people, that these can be fruitful relationships, Lord, that we can spur each other on to maturity. I pray for gospel buddies, that you would be working among us, Lord, that you would be raising people up and equipping them to share, the li share their lives with international students, that we could be continuing to proclaim the gospel to those who may or may not know you across cultures, Lord, here in Australia. Furthermore, I pray for focus and for the bountiful opportunities it brings. I pray for all the people that come in, Lord, that uh, we may be able to preach your word in love to them, that we can be showing Christ through our actions and our words, and just that you can be working in them, having compassion on them. I pray for the Uni Bible Group, for all of us here, that we can continue to be seeking these international students on campus, that as they come to us, as we heard, uh, they come to us and we're privileged to have these opportunities where sometimes we can't get in, Lord. So I pray that we would make the most of these opportunities, that we can continue to find these people, that we can proclaim your word to them, that we can train them, and that uh, eventually they can be sent back with you at the center of their lives, that they can show that to others in their culture, in their homes. And finally, Lord, I pray for a restful night tonight, that we may be able to uh, sleep well and be reinvigorated to learn more from your word tomorrow. Amen.